We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, folks. This is Josh Nelson. And an intro before the intro, the following podcast that you'll be listening to was recorded before Robert Murray of Fansite reported that the Chicago White Sox are signing former Houston Astros catcher Martin Maldonado to help out along with Max Stassi at the catching position. Jim is taking a much-needed break from this episode. We'll be back later this week to record. So more analysis from us on the Maldonado signing will be coming later this week. For all the news of this signing, go to SoxMachine.com. And now... Here's the podcast. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Robin. Welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Tuesday night, December 26th, 2023, as we bring you a new episode. For those that do celebrate, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas, and for our friends overseas, happy Boxing Day. I'm flying solo in this episode as Jim is taking a well-earned break in this episode, we have some off-season news as we catch up after the holidays. Mitch Garver and Kevin Kiermeyer agreed to contracts, and the Cleveland Guardians and New York Yankees make a trade. For the White Sox, it's quiet on their end. We haven't heard any substantial rumors or gossip in a while. There is an update regarding Dylan Cease as we have some clarity on who Chris Getz was asking for in a possible return. Plus, while there may not be a Sox Fest this offseason, there will be a season ticket holder only event. At least that's something. But there's an interesting trend going on regarding offseason fan festivals for Major League Baseball that I think is a bit troublesome. Starting with the Dylan C's trade rumors, in a piece from the Cincinnati Inquirer, Reds reporter Jason Williams wrote that Chris Getz asked for the following Reds prospects at a potential Dylan C's trade. Red Lauder, their 2023 first-round pick. Edwin Arroyo, a 20-year-old middle infielder, has been playing primarily shortstop. Starting pitcher Connor Phillips and pitching prospect Chase Petty. And, quote, one more prospect, end quote. So it appears that Chris Guest was asking for five players for Dylan Cease. Now, we don't know 
based on what Williams wrote in the Inquirer, if the White Sox were sending back to Cincinnati someone else along with Cease. But a breakdown of these four players, again, Louder was the 2023 first-round pick out of Wake Forest. He's currently the Reds' number two prospect, according to MLB.com. Arroyo, again, 20 years old, shortstop, hit 248 with a 321 on base percentage, slug just 427 in high A last year. He did play a few games in double A, but that's where he is right now. Connor Phillips, he made five starts with the Reds last year, but got beat up. He had a 6.97 ERA and a little more than 20 innings pitched. He's currently in the Reds' number four prospect. Chase Petty is also 20 years old. He had a 1.95 ERA and 16 starts at high A. That's good, but he just pitched 60 innings, so the Reds really limit his usage quite a bit, and there's still a pretty high reliever risk when it comes to Chase Petty's future profile for those that enjoy playing with the baseball trade values calculator. You probably wouldn't be surprised to hear that this return would be a quote major overpay end quote for Cincinnati with a surplus value of 62.3 going to the white Sox and a 40.4 surplus value for Dylan Cease going back to Cincinnati. I agree with the calculator that this request from Chris Getz is a little overboard, but let's consider what the ask is from the White Sox. Louder, recent first-round pick, hasn't pitched to the minors, though. Arroyo just got to double-A. Patty just got to double-A, and he's only averaging 3.2 innings each outing. And Phillips got beat up at five major league starts. On paper, the White Sox farm system would get a pretty big upgrade regarding prospect rankings, but on the field, this type of deal wouldn't help much in the immediate future. Phillips would replace Cease in the rotation if this hypothetical trade did work out, and your hypothetical starting five for the White Sox, if this trade worked out, would have been Eric Fetty, Mike Soroka, Connor Phillips, Tuki Toussaint, and then your fifth starter is Michael Kopech, Jared Schuster, and Nick Nestrini. Then the White Sox player development which we haven't heard much of what's going on, what's going to change other than personnel for White Sox player development, would have to make Arroyo and Petty work in order to make this deal worthwhile. Like, Connor Phillips is intriguing, but he's not really like a big headliner for a Dylan Cease type of trade. I really like Louder going into draft day, and I do think he could be a Major League Baseball starter, Fastball was 95 to 96 consistently when I watched his starts at Wake Forest. He also has a very good changeup that is still effective, not just against lefties, but also against right-handed bats as well. But again, that's college. And while I thought he was very good, he's not on the same level as Paul Skeens was, number one overall. And Skeens was already pitching in, in double-A. So... We still don't have any clarity on what Louder could do in the minor leagues and what his immediate future is. And with that uncertainty, when you add in Arroyo and Petty, I mean, three of these four guys maybe are in the majors in 2025, more than likely after 2025. So no help, not much help in the immediate, just Phillips replacing Dylan Cease in the rotation and then still have to wait a year, maybe two years, for everyone else in this return to join the White Sox. 
And again, the clock is kind of ticking when you still have Luis Robert Jr. in hand. This deal, hypothetically, again, this offer doesn't help the White Sox immediate need in right field. So while Reds fans will laugh at this initial offer and call it crazy, which I get it from their perspective, their number two, number three, number four, number eight prospects for Dylan Cease. But again, these are just prospect rankings and all prospects are suspect until they prove it otherwise in the major leagues. And again, I get it from a Cincinnati perspective. This is asking a lot for Dylan Cease, who was not that great in 2023. This would be a type of package of the Reds traded for Dylan Cease after the 2022 season. Again, I get it from a Reds perspective. This is outrageous. There's no way the Reds would make this type of offer. But for the White Sox, it's not a perfect offer either. Let's see what the counter offers look like. The Reds still need starting pitching help. Meanwhile, there hasn't been much discussion from other teams' interests in Dylan Cease, especially after the Los Angeles Dodgers traded and signed Tyler Glasnow and signed free agent starter Yoshinobu Yamamoto, in addition to signing Shohei Otani. So obviously the Dodgers still crushing the offseason and dominating the headlines. The Atlanta Braves, during the winter meetings, pretty much said that they were out on Dylan Cease or their interest in trading for Cease was overstated. You could make a case for all the teams that missed out on Yamamoto. Should be calling Chris Getz right now, texting him to make offers for Dylan Cease. But there's just not as much trade smoke as there was before the winter meetings. And if you recall a few weeks ago, a month ago, on the percentage that I had after the offseason, I was 99% sure Dylan Cease would be the opening day starter. Then it dropped to 75%. Then it dropped to 50%. Then it jumped up to like 95% sure. I was certain that Dylan Cease was going to be traded. I thought Cease was going to be traded before the winter meetings. None of that has happened. And now I think I'm inching closer to like 50-50 chance that Cease gets traded this offseason. So if you're a Dylan Cease fan and you would still like to see Dylan Cease with the White Sox, I still think your odds are 50-50 that he gets dealt. But that's, at least from my perspective, that's increasing before the winter meetings where I thought it was like a certainty that Dylan Cease was going to be dealt. I don't know. Maybe it's still certain that Dylan Cease will be traded, but right now there's just not as much trade smoke surrounding Cease and the Chicago White Sox like it was before the winter meetings. In other MLB news, the Seattle Mariners signed DH catcher Mitch Garver to a two-year $24 million contract, first reported by ESPN's Jeff Passan. With the Mariners already having catcher Cal Raleigh as their their primary backstop, and I really think of the world of Cal Raleigh. I, I think he's a great catcher. Garver can now just come into Seattle and assume the primary DH role while also helping spell time behind home plate for Raleigh when he needs a rest. Last year, Garver hit 270 with a 370 on base percentage. He had a 12% walk rate and slugged 500 for the world champion Texas Rangers as he had 19 homers and 50 RBIs in 87 games. Now that is the concern. Garver has only played more than 100 games once in his career, and that was a while ago, back in 2018 for the Minnesota Twins. 
I would have liked this type of signing for the White Sox if Garver still wanted to catch full-time. Sure, he's not considered a great defensive catcher, and playing behind home plate impacts his ability to stay on the field with nagging injuries, but at least it would be more entertaining to watch Garver hit than Corey Lee. After the White Sox traded for Max Stassi, that idea, of course, was squashed. Perhaps $24 million over two years for Garver is a bit of a stretch for a primary DH at backup catcher. I, I see some rhetoric about that and some concern. But then again, the White Sox are paying Eloy Jimenez $13.8 million in 2024, and there's still the club option next year for $16.5 million or a $3 million buyout next year. So no matter what, Eloy is getting more than $16 million, uh, whether or not he plays for the White Sox in 2025 at the very least. Uh, and he is a primary DH and backup right fielder. So, And he also has a very tough time playing more than 100 games, even though he did get to 120 games last year. That was the first time that Jimenez played in more than 100 games since his rookie season in 2019. So again, I could, I could understand the criticism that the White Sox should have never entertained the idea of Mitch Garver. Again, I get that, but he's a solid bat. He's a veteran bat that has hit very well during his major league career. He was better than a two-war player, even though he played 87 games for the Texas Rangers. And I think he's going to help out that Seattle Mariners lineup, which it seems like that they're going to be missing out on Tiasca Hernandez, or at least bringing him back as they will be moving on and finding someone else to play right field next year. Speaking of the outfield, the Toronto Blue Jays signed outfielder Kevin Kiermeyer to a one-year, $10.5 million contract. There will be incentives part of the contract, according to USA Today's Bob Nightingale. The 2023 Gold Glover over Luis Robert at center field. Kiermaier played in 129 games for the Blue Jays last year and was a 2.2 war player, according to fan graphs, with a 104 weighted runs created plus, meaning that he was 4% better than league average offensively. Kiermaier's slash line, he hit 265. His on-base percentage was 322, and he slugged 419. Kiermaier only hit eight homers and had 36 RBIs with 14 steals. Offensively, Kiermaier doesn't provide much outside of being very average contact-wise with little power. It's his glove that has been his best and biggest asset to any team, and Kiermaier will help the Blue Jays in that regard as they still have proven hitters up and down their lineup. What brings into question, however for the Blue Jays is what about the pursuit of Cody Bellinger? After missing out on Juan Soto and Shohei Otani, the Blue Jays were expected to make an impact move this offseason. Kiermaier isn't that. And now everyone wonders, after two swings and misses this offseason, that the Blue Jays are not going to sign a big free agent. There's still time. Third baseman Matt Chapman, who was who obviously played for the Blue Jays last year, is still available. However, his free agent market has been very quiet to date. From a White Sox perspective, if Kiermaier couldn't get a guaranteed starting spot with a team, I would have liked the White Sox to go after him. Yes, offensively, like I mentioned, Kiermaier would not be an impact player. But Kiermaier 
Manning right field with Luis Robert Jr. in center field would have given the White Sox a very strong defensive outfield to help with their upcoming strategy of playing games very quickly in 2024, a focus on run prevention while being very bad offensively. Alas, Kiermaier is returning to Toronto. That raises questions about what the White Sox plan is for right field in 2024. I put this out on my social media on Twitter, which you can follow me at SoxMachine underscore Josh. A poll, what are the White Sox plans to start for right field in 2024? The key part is to start because obviously things will change during the season. And the options are, and you get four options on Twitter, start Gavin Sheets in right field, start Oscar Colas in right field, start Eloy Jimenez in right field, or undecided White Sox will sign a free agent or they'll make a trade to find the starting right fielder. Now, if you do have Twitter, you can participate in that poll. Again, follow me at SoxMachine underscore Josh. Make your voice heard. Submit your vote. Early voting is obviously undecided. I thought that was going to be the number one option anyways, but I was wondering to see if anybody still believed in Oscar Colossen. There are some that still believe in Oscar Colas, even though I don't think Pedro Grafal, the White Sox manager, is one of those believers. That's where I would place my vote as well, that it's still undecided what the White Sox are going to do in right field. But man, that just, it makes me uneasy because with every passing day, every passing week that the White Sox don't have someone from the outside that they are bringing in to challenge or be that starting right fielder, the more likely it's going to be an internal solution, which you have Gavin Sheets, who is not an outfielder and is not very good offensively either. I don't know if Gavin Sheets is a major leaguer. Eloy Jimenez, which we know that if he plays in the field, chances of him getting hurt are high. Then again, chances of him moving or running or trying to do anything athletic is pretty high. And I just, I'm not certain that Pedro Grafal thinks highly of Oscar Colas, especially when Grafal wanted Colas to play winter ball and Colas didn't do that and instead just worked out with Luis Robert Jr. in Miami. When I get it from Grafal's perspective, the game seems too fast for Oscar Colas. He needs more game reps. And Colas just decided to skip out on playing more games. So we'll see how that conversation goes in spring training. But with me being undecided, or at least voting for that, for the White Sox in right field, again, there's still time for the White Sox to make a trade. I'm hoping that they could find a starting right field solution in a possible deal or in return for Dylan Cease. But here are the best remaining options in free agency. Number one is Cody Bellinger. Ha! Yeah, I think we all know the White Sox are not going to spend that type of money to bring in Bellinger. I mentioned Tiasco Hernandez. The latest rumor is that the Los Angeles Dodgers, of course, are in pursuit of Hernandez as the idea is that Hernandez can play and start in right field as the Dodgers are moving Mookie Betts to play second base full-time in 2024. I, so I don't think Teoscar Hernandez is a realistic option for the White Sox. The rest of these options are realistic, but there's obviously some red flags. Jorge Soler, not good defensively. Man, he is not good defensively, but he could still mash homer, so that would be kind of fun. Adam Duvall, I kind of like this idea, and I advocated for the White Sox to sign Duvall 
last year as he's still a good hitter, but he has a hard time staying healthy. So if you have Adam Duvall, if you sign him to like a one-year contract and he was your starting right fielder, you would really need to make sure that you have a solid backup plan in case Duvall finds himself with a freak injury and is on the injured list for a month or more. Tommy Pham, I think, could be interesting. Michael A. Taylor, kind of like Kiermaier, as he would help the White Sox outfield defensively, but would not help offensively. Then Whit Merrifield is still a free agent, and you have to consider it because Royals. Harrison Bader, who performed well for the Yankees, kind of falls in that same type of group with Michael A. Taylor, someone who's very good defensively, especially in center field. So if Luis Robert got hurt, you have no problem playing a Taylor or Bader in center field, just offensively not much. Jack Peterson, can't let this ever die. Uh, and then Aaron Hicks, who has really struggled as of late, but he's a switch hitter, and who knows, maybe a change of scenery, maybe not having the type of pressure that he had in New York. Uh, he did perform a little better with the Baltimore Orioles when he got waived, uh, but maybe just playing in a more relaxed situation with the Chicago White Sox, knowing that there's not a lot of pressure to perform as the team's not expected to win many games in 2024, gets him back on track. It could be worth the flyer, especially if the White Sox don't acquire a right fielder via trade. So there's still time. I'm not sure if the Atlanta Braves have any other right fielders available that Chris Getz could possibly acquire in a trade. But there's still time this offseason to find another right fielder. Just every day, every passing week, the White Sox don't make a move. The concern that I have internally that Gavin Sheets is the opening day right fielder in 2024 is greater and do not like that feeling folks do not like that feeling we'll take a quick break for a word from our sponsors but the cleveland guardians make a trade and recent trends of major league baseball fan festivals is concerning we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. The Cleveland Guardians have been reported that they're going to be trading for former New York Yankees top prospect outfielder Estevan Florial. Back in 2018, Florial was regarded as a top 50 prospect from Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, and Baseball Prospectus. He only played in 48 games in the major leagues, hitting just one home run in 134 plate appearances with a slash line of 209 with a 313 on base percentage and slug just 296. With the White Sox trading for Juan Soto, Florial was just outfield depth, and because of his time with the Yankees, He's out of minor league options. So Florial has struggled in the majors during his time with the Yankees, but he has hit well in AAA over three seasons with a slash line of a 265 batting average on base percentage of 358 and slugged 490. So he goes to the Guardians and Florial, if he stayed with the Yankees, entered spring training, quote unquote, competing for a spot on their 26 man roster, that would be that would have been a launch shot. For Florio, more than likely he would have been DFA'd and wouldn't have a home entering the 2024 season. Now he's competing for a starting role in the Guardians outfield. Is they have they still have Steve Kwan, who is a mainstay now in left field. They have Miles Straw in center field. I still think that's their plan A. The Guardians also have Ramon Liriano under team control, and he was playing in right field. So maybe Florial splits some time with Loriano in, in right field. Maybe he wins that spot in right field for the Cleveland Guardians. But for Florial, again, a top 50 prospect was part of very many, 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 many hypothetical trade situations for the Yankees over the years as someone that could have been flipped for one of the top players available Really hasn't panned out, but he's going to get a second chance with the Cleveland Guardians. We'll see on how it unfolds for Florial and the Guardians. Back to the Guardians, though. They still have to figure out what they're doing with Shane Bieber. It's been reported that Bieber could be dealt before the season as he becomes a free agent after the 2024 season. Back to the Cincinnati Reds. Maybe if the Reds didn't like what the White Sox were asking for at Cease, they could pivot to their in-state rival and try to work out a trade for Bieber. Now, the direction for Cleveland is still a bit hazy in what their plans are for the 2024 season. Obviously, they still have Jose Ramirez and Andres Jimenez, both very good. We know how defensively the Guardians can be quite good. They have a knack of developing pitching, plus their top-hitting prospect, Kyle Manzardo, a first baseman, could be ready to join their lineup to provide more power alongside Josh Naylor. It's a bit hazy of a picture for the Guardians, especially if they do end up trading Bieber. But adding Floriel, again, he's a wild card here. They keep most of the lineup together. They keep Bieber to at least see where they are in the first half. I saw on Fangraphs.com the Zips projections for the Cleveland Guardians are more rosier than I was expecting. And our best friend Dan Zaborski wrote up in his column about the Zips projections in 2024 for the Cleveland Guardians. He likes their chances in the American League Central and lists their odds of winning the Central better than expected. So keep an eye on the Guardians. But again, there's not a lot of certainty of what they're planning on doing to Shane Bieber. And if they trade Shane Bieber, 
I think that hurts their odds of winning the American League Central in 2024. But again, as we've seen with Cleveland, they could surprise everyone. And then back to the White Sox from a marketing perspective. On Friday, January 26th, the Chicago White Sox are having a season ticket holder only event. With some intel we received at Sox Machine, there will be no Sox Fest again in January 2024. That news has caused some fan outrage online calling the season ticket holder event quote-unquote elitist disclosure i'm still a season ticket holder for the chicago white Sox because i'm an idiot so i'll know more later about this upcoming event that'll be in late january there hasn't been a Sox fest though since covid and that's rubbing some fans the wrong way if you haven't been to a Sox fest Sox fest was filled with autograph hounds who stood in line to get signatures from players and coaches. There was the shopping area where vendors sold White Sox gear and other knickknacks. How Louisville Slugger had a stand where you could get a custom engraved bat. Then there were the panels, but the best part was the kids area. White Sox instructors were there to help teach young White Sox fans baseball drills and, and there were other fun activities for them to do. While it's not the most exciting event in the world, it was a chance for White Sox fans getting to know players, coaches, and even ask questions to White Sox front office members about the upcoming season. Now that chance doesn't exist. What the White Sox have been doing is hosting Zoom-like sessions with players and personnel. A more recent one was with Luis Robert Jr., again for season ticket holders only, which raises the question, what are the White Sox doing to keep casual fans from jumping off the cliff and just skipping the 2024 season completely? And right now, in late December, the answer to that question is not much, at least what we have seen from upcoming planning from White Sox marketing. And there's still the unknown issue of how White Sox fans were shot inside the stadium last year, we may never get a resolution on that incident, both from the White Sox and the city of Chicago. Will it mean better security parameters and better process of entering the stadium in 2024? We still don't know. With the White Sox not having Sox Fest, the perception is they are one of the few franchises in Major League Baseball that doesn't have an off-season fan event. Again, that's perception. The reality is only 14 Major League Baseball teams have a confirmed fan fest this offseason. The Los Angeles Dodgers and San Diego Padres, who had fan fest last year, still have it confirmed or announced if they will have one in January or early February. I'm pretty sure the Dodgers fan fest would be very well attended with their offseason. Here are the teams that will be having FanFests. The Boston Red Sox. It's $95 to participate in their FanFest. The Minnesota Twins. They have a live show. They have autograph. And they have kids training tickets. They're all separate. So if you want to attend all three, if you have kids, it's a separate ticket for all three. If you just want to do autographs, you can get that ticket solo. The Cleveland Guardians. $15 general admission ticket. It's $5 for season ticket holders. If you want to get autographs, that's an extra ticket. The Kansas City Royals, the Texas Rangers, $20 general admission. The World Series champions, $20 to go to their fan fest. 
the Houston Astros will have a fan fest. If you're a season ticket holder for the Astros, when it comes to autographs, they kind of have, if you know, Disney park etiquette, the fast pass, they have fast passes for Astros season ticket holders. So they can use a fast pass to cut in line to get autographs from their favorite players and ex players, etc. The Atlanta Braves and Miami Marlins are having fan fest and they are free to attend the Milwaukee Brewers are bringing their fan fest back after last year, not having one $42 with autographs, just $22 tickets without the Chicago Cubs, of course have Cubs convention. The Cincinnati Reds already had their fan fest. That was in early December. The Pittsburgh pirates general admission is free. If you want autographs, it's $25 ticket. The St. Louis Cardinals is a $50 ticket. Everything's included. And the Colorado Rockies, like the Cleveland Guardians, it's a $15 ticket to enter, $5 if you're a season ticket holder. Every team in the National League Central is having a fan festival during the offseason, and they are the only division that has every team to do so. Baltimore and San Francisco are doing caravan events where they are visiting cities nearby with their local radio rights holder as they host remotes, and they'll have some current and ex-players Visiting these cities and these caravan events, like they'll be open for like two to three hours that fans can attend and they can meet face to face with some of those players. The Oakland A's are not hosting a fan fest. Wouldn't that be hilarious if they did? But the fan group, the Oakland 68s, are hosting a fan meetup on February 24th, kind of like how we host one with our friends from the 108 at Reggie's. So, why the reverse trends of fan fests? After COVID, because before 2020, every team in Major League Baseball had an offseason fan fest. And I'm wondering aloud here, but I think a big one is players. Is it in their contract to participate in an offseason fan event? Are they paid for their appearance? Do they get paid to sign autographs as other companies during the season? especially in the Chicagoland area, uh, they do pay White Sox players to appear to sign autographs like in Bridgeport, just by the stadium, uh, Wings and Rings, they'll have autograph sessions with current and ex-White Sox players that fans pay tickets for to get autographs. And I think you pay a little extra to get a photo with the players, which is pretty cool, but players make money off of that. And do the players get a cut for signing stuff at these fan events? If the answer to these questions is no, it's not in the player's contract to show up. No, they don't get paid. And remember, players don't get paid until the regular season. They're not even paid for spring training. And if they don't get a cut for signing stuff, why should players show up? Would you show up to a work event that you weren't paid for? And if you... Well, then again, I don't know what you guys do for a living. I don't know if you signing stuff would have any value. But again, you know, if there's a work event and you need to get paid to participate, are you showing up to that work event? I don't know. I guess from a player's perspective, I get it. If I'm not getting paid, why would I fly to Chicago to meet with fans? I'm not getting paid for it. I don't get a cut of the autographs. Peace out. I'll just meet you guys in Glendale when I'm supposed to show up in mid-February for spring training. So I'm wondering if teams are having a tough time 
especially if it's not written in contracts, to have current players show up. Ex-players, yeah, man, they still want to be remembered. They still want to be remembered. They still love that pop of fans being excited and, and cheering their name, even though they haven't played in X amount of years. And if the team buys their flight, if they pays for their flight and pays for the hotel room, yeah, you can get X players like white Sox wouldn't have any issue getting X players to show up to a fan fest, getting current players to participate. I bet would be, it would be troubling. It would be arduous to get current players to show up. The other thing that I'm wondering that is a reverse trend of fan festivals for major league baseball is marketing budgets. Do MLB teams still allocate funds for these type of events? Sure, they sell tickets for the events. Some teams, though, don't. I mean, they're free tickets. It still costs money to launch the event. So, yeah, again, I think it would make sense for teams to do this, especially if you have a good fan atmosphere, like Texas does, of course, because they just won the World Series, or... The Atlanta Braves, I mean, those fans have been very loyal. Like, if you are a good organization that continues to win baseball games, I'm sure the fan atmosphere is great. I'm sure for some teams, White Sox, are scared of meeting their fans currently face-to-face. So that might be a reason why they're not having a fan festival. But the reason fan festivals are so important, if you don't have a way of drumming up excitement during the offseason... Why should fans be making hefty investments, whether that's buying season ticket packages or their time following your team over a 162-game schedule? And also consider the younger generation. Like, this is how you can make young fans diehard fans, is they will, will remember this, especially if they're between the ages of, like, 8 to 14, where they can... Go with their parents or other family members. Attend a fan festival. Wear their White Sox gear. Get a chance to meet White Sox players. And do the other cool kid stuff like I mentioned at Sox Fest. Like, if you don't have that, what are you doing to generate new White Sox fans? Especially younger White Sox fans that will stick with you. And when they have a full-time job and they have a career... They're buying tickets for you. And when they have kids, then you have another wave of White Sox fans being generated. I just don't know what the White Sox are doing right now to generate new fans. I don't even know what they're doing to keep the fans that they already have. It just seems like, and I mentioned this before, and if you're a Patreon supporter of Sox Machine, you heard me say this during our annual town hall event that we had in November. It really feels like it's up to White Sox fans and their efforts to to continue being White Sox fans. Like at Sox Machine, we're going to have these community events. Why? Because misery loves company and it's a miserable time to be a White Sox fan. And we aim to be good company at Sox Machine. That's why we co-host these things with our friends from the 108. They're unserious, but they're very serious about being unserious And they're fun. And these are fun events as we are planning for the event in January at Reggie's. And we're hoping to have another event in March before opening day. And we're going to have a massive tailgate in Milwaukee when the White Sox play the Brewers up there 
And in July, we're in the planning stages right now of having several events in Kansas City for that weekend after the All-Star break, going to check out the Negro League Museum, go watch the Royals and White Sox games, have pregame and postgame meetups in Kansas City like we've had in Cincinnati and Minneapolis and San Diego in recent years. It's fun. It's a very fun community. But man, it's really uh, it's up to us to continue being White Sox fans, it seems like, with very little help from the actual Major League Baseball team. Do you know how crazy that is? Especially for anyone listening to this, if you guys work in marketing, let me know your guys' feedback because to me, this is just an absolute bizarre marketing strategy of our marketing. We're just going to leave it up to the fans to decide. (laughs) We're just going to leave it up to the customers to decide if they're going to be happy or not of buying our product. Like what other industry, what other product what other business vertical markets like that? I've got no idea, but in major league baseball, even though I'm picking on the white Sox here, they're not the only ones. They're not the only team that has decided to reverse course and not doing a whole lot during the off season to drum up excitement for the upcoming season, which I find to be a very curious strategy for major league baseball. I would think that the commissioner's office would force teams to do this, but Every team can do what they want on their own, and uh, the league will continue to wonder why their fans continue to trend to be older, and they're losing out on the other major sports or upcoming, up-and-coming sports on younger fans. This is a big reason why. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode as I fly solo. Jim will rejoin me later this week as we'll have a podcast episode before New Year's as uh, we celebrate another year of Sox Machine as we relaunch Sox Machine on January 1st, 2018 and also dish out what our resolutions are for the upcoming 2024 calendar year, both personally and for the Chicago White Sox. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to this show through Apple Music, at Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And we also upload podcast episodes into our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine. You can follow us on social media. We're on all the platforms. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram, Blue Sky, Threads, etc. We're at Socks Machine. You can follow me there at Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Machine. Current Patreon supporters of Socks Machine, go to patreon.com slash Socks Machine. I have made a post there with an interest form for those that are going to Kansas City, might be going to Kansas City, or want to hear more about what that Kansas City meetup entails. I will be sending out the first mass email to let people know what we are planning to do in Kansas City. So for those that are on the fence, maybe that convinces you to join. For those that are already, Josh, I'm planning there. I already blocked it on my calendar. I will see you in Kansas City on July. We'll start getting things more concrete with the things that we're planning to do for that weekend. And you guys will be in the know. So whether you are planning on going or you're interested in going, go to patreon.com slash machine to complete that form. And if you're not a Patreon supporter, 
Sign up to get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and also participate in exclusive Sox Machine events like our current event that we're hosting in February. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.